please uh, turn to Psalm 127 with me. As we think about God's graciousness to our church and how he has blessed us in a very uh, powerful way, we think about our stewardship of those resources that God has entrusted to us, these, these precious ones. We're going to think through uh, what this looks like in the life of our church, and we're going to talk about this, this passage from the perspective of, of parents, this passage from the perspective of, of young people, of uh, single people, as, as uh, members of the community of, of faith, as we talk about God and the children here at Bethany Community Church from Psalm 127. And if you're able to, if you would stand with me as we read God's Word together. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your graciousness on our church, a graciousness that, that we do not deserve. You've been gracious because of you and your character upon us. And so thank you for the children, your children here at Bethany, and we pray that we would view them rightly, think about them rightly, and, and treat them rightly as you would have us to. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, there's uh, so much behind those pictures that you saw. There's uh, a lot of, of heartache. There's a lot of toil, joy, perseverance. I don't know the stories behind every family that, from the Fellowship of Churches that's, that's uh, brought families, uh, children to their home through adoption. There's, there's uh, many families that weren't uh, represented up there, and so it's, it's just a, it's an amazing thing to watch that video and to think about God's, God's graciousness. As I, as I watch that video, I'm just overwhelmed with thankfulness that God has allowed me to, to be at a church that loves children, and it's a lot of my children to be at a church where they are loved the way that they are loved, and I hope that, that you feel that way as, as well as you, you watch that video. I'm also reminded, as I, as I think about our, our orphan care ministries, I think about children, how God has brought children into the life of our church, I'm also reminded of this, that it is very easy, even among those of us who love children, it is very easy for us to adopt an unbiblical view of children, to develop an unbiblical view of children, even in the midst of loving them. If we're single, if we're newly married, uh, older single, younger single, middle-aged single, empty nest. I mean, no matter where we are in life, it's easy to adopt some unbiblical views of children. Let me just give you one example as we kind of begin here. You're a, you're a couple, maybe you're a couple with children. 
Sometimes it's, it's easy to develop this idea that the children are a means to an end, and so maybe the end is an unbiblical end, like our own glorification. So we think that children exist so that our selfish ambitions will be realized. Maybe that ambition is that, that we would uh, receive love from a child, or that a child would fulfill our expectations for them, or that would look good in the eyes of others in the community. And so we see children as the means to an unbiblical end. That's unbiblical way to view children, right? It causes us to, to view them wrongly, to treat them wrongly. Sometimes it's different. Sometimes we view children as an end and of themselves. And so we think, okay, the, the child doesn't exist to glorify me. I exist to glorify the child. And so all that we do, all that we think, kind of our whole parenting strategy is revolved around how do I make this child happy, fulfilled? Uh, how do we revolve our whole world around this child, that is not a biblical way to view children either. Sometimes we see children as having not the value that God places upon them, but actually being a hindrance to the things we really want. So we have these other values, and children are a hindrance to that which we really desire. All of those are just examples of unbiblical ways that we view children. When I see that video... I'm reminded of a word that I think better helps us understand the purpose of children. The word is stewardship. Stewardship. At Bethany Community Church, we believe that the purpose of our church, the reason our church exists is to glorify God, right? We believe that we glorify God as a church by proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and preparing people to worship him forever. And there is no group, I would argue, there's no group who is a greater beneficiary of our commitment to that than our children. And I would go further than that, and in terms of, in terms of altering eternal destinies and affecting the life of people on into eternity and, and the life of the church, I would argue there's, there's no ministry that has had a greater eternal impact, been greater eternally benefited by our commitment to our purpose of proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and preparing people to worship Him forever. There's no group that's had a greater benefit from our commitment to that than those who benefited from our orphan care ministry the fatherless that we have committed to care for. Our orphan care ministry, I believe, is, is crucial for us fulfilling what God wants us to be and to do as a church. And for us to be faithful in that ministry, and in all our ministries to children, our ministries as a church, we have to view children as God views children. And see our responsibility to them the way that God sees our responsibility to them. And so my encouragement this morning for us is going to be for us to view children as God's children and to encourage us to, to think about our responsibilities as stewards of the children which God has entrusted to us. And kind of the, the main thing that I hope you grasp as we, as we go through this passage as a church is I, I hope you say, look, at Bethany Community Church, we believe that children 
are God's children, and we are stewards of the blessing that he has graciously entrusted to us. I I hope that would be what each of us, no matter where we are in life, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, we would say, I agree with that statement that at Bethany Community Church, the children are God's children, and we are stewards of the blessing that he has graciously entrusted to us. I hope that's what we all concur with as we look at Psalm 127. Psalm 127 is a psalm that it would have been a psalm of ascent, a psalm that was sung by men about three times a year as they would go up to Jerusalem. And Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 would have been sung together, and they're both about the parent's responsibility to view children as God views them and respond to this blessing of children as God has called us to. And so as we think about that, that statement that we at Bethany Community Church believe that the children are God's children, we're stewards of them, and we desire to be good stewards of this gracious resource that he's given us, as we think about that statement, I want us to meditate on three truths that I think will help us be faithful stewards. And as we think about these These three truths, we're also going to look at three principles based on each of these truths that I think will help us in this task of being good stewards of God's children here at Bethany Community Church. Here's the first truth that I want us to consider. God sovereignly establishes a home for children. It is God who sovereignly establishes a home for children. Here's what The psalmist says as he begins this chapter 127, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now there's kind of three ideas that I want you to get from this verse as we think about how God is the one who sovereignly establishes a home for children. The first thing that I want you to see is that his main point is that God is the one who is in charge of the establishment and protection of a home. Verse 1 is what we call two parallel statements. There's this first statement and there's this second statement that follows it. And the two statements are, are parallel. They're conveying the same idea. And the idea that they're conveying is that God is actively engaged in the role of, of building up and protecting. Now, here's the second thing that I want you to see. A human effort apart from God's divine intervention, is described as what? It's described as vain. Human effort, apart from God's divine intervention, is described as vain. He says both these statements are conditional. Unless the Lord builds, and unless the Lord watches over the city, unless God divinely intervenes, the person building the home is, is laboring in vain. They're going into all that work, but it's ultimately worthless. And unless The watchman has the Lord watching over a city. He's staying awake in vain. Apart from God's divine intervention, human efforts are vain. Similar to what Jesus says in John chapter 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, he's not saying here that human effort is always vain. He's not saying that human effort is worthless. He's saying that human effort, apart from God's intervention, is worthless. 
It's vain. Human effort is futile apart from God's divine intervention. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see. The third thing that I want you to see is that what's being described here isn't just a literal home or a literal city. What's being described here is is a family, a home. Unless the Lord builds the house, that, that expression house doesn't always refer to a physical structure. In fact, as you go through the Old Testament, it very often describes children and, and the establishment of a home, a family with children in it. So, for example, in Genesis 16, verse 2, Sarah is talking to Abraham, and she talks, she's talking about being built up, and she's talking about obtaining children. David in 2 Samuel 7 is, is praying to the Lord, and he says, For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. And he's talking about the children that God has promised to establish his, his dynasty, his legacy here. And so what's being described here in verse 1 isn't just a physical structure. He's talking about a home. As you go through the rest of Psalm 127, what's he talking about? He's talking about a family. As you go into Psalm 128, that goes with Psalm 127. What are they talking about there? A family. And so what is being described here is not just this reality that God is the one who divinely intervenes to make a, a home or a city safe. He's saying that in terms of establishing a home, it's God who's sovereign in that. Apart from God's divine intervention, the establishment of a home by human efforts is vain. So often, we as, as I'll just put in the context of parents, we think that we have the ability in and of ourselves to accomplish things for our children. I think it was a, a few years ago I, I mentioned uh, this book, uh, Freakonomics, that has a chapter on parenting. And it's kind of a funny chapter because it talks about all these things that we as parents do that we think are going to help our children be successful. The, the reading programs we put them in, uh, how late we stay up at night reading to them, or what, all these things that we do that we think will somehow impact them and make them more intellectual or whatever, and, and the, the studies often show that, boy, uh, the things you can do to make your child intelligent are, are really not all that effective. Your children are pretty much as intelligent or um, unintelligent as they're going to be. Some of the things we try to do are, are really just, they're vain, they're, they're futile, they're, they're worthless in terms of, of changing the intelligence of our children. Now we can do things that help them decide what to do with the intelligence that they have, but we can't change them. The same is true spiritually. Some of us labor under this, this misconception that somehow we can do things in and of ourselves, apart from God's divine intervention, we can do things in and of ourselves to to create the spiritual maturity in our children that we desire them to have. And, and what Psalm 127 is telling us is, boy, that is simply not the case. We need to understand at Bethany the means that God uses to provide homes and protect children. And as we do that, we, we echo the desires of our Heavenly Father. Here's, here's the principle. Here's the principle. The principle is we cannot build spiritually healthy children through our own strength. We can't do it. How are we tempted to believe that we can? Or let me put it this way, what are some ways that demonstrate 
that we're laboring under the delusion that we can produce spiritually mature children on our own. One way, one way is that we reject God's goals for our children. So God has, has set a goal for our children. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we, we believe that we're in charge of the spiritual development of our children. And so we set up a goal that's in contrary to the goals that God has for our children. So for example, some of us might say, Maybe we wouldn't say this explicitly, but in the ways that we parent, we reveal that we desire to produce spiritually mature children who both love God and love the world. We do that, right? We, we say we want them to love God, and we kind of give them some spiritual things, but at the same time, we do things in their life to help them develop a love for the world and the things that we give them and the things that we encourage them to pursue. We encourage them to pursue things that are really all about the world, and so we say we want spiritually mature children, but we've rejected God's goals for them, and we want them to both love God and the world, which God has told us is impossible. Not only do we reject God's goals for our children, but sometimes we reject God's methodology. And maybe some of us would say, some of us would say okay, I believe that God is in charge of deciding what the goals for my children are, but I'm worried that he won't accomplish it the way that I want to. And so we create these, these structures that are contrary to how he's told us to trust in him. And some of us have created very legalistic structures in our home, and our belief is that if we just create the right rules, if we just uh, make our children do the right things, and we can somehow force them to become spiritual, and, and if we just make them do the, the, look a certain way and dress a certain way and do these, do these certain things, and that will be the means by which God produces godliness in them. Now, kids, I'm not telling your parents that they shouldn't be involved in directing your lives, okay? So don't get your hopes up. What I'm saying, parents and people at Bethany Community Church, is we should not operate under the delusion that creating rules will foster spiritual maturity in the lives of our kids. How do we embrace the truth that God is the builder of our homes, that he's the one who establishes and protects them. Well, we, first of all, have God-centered goals. We say, okay, God, you're the architect of my home. What do you want it to look like? What do you, what do you, what's the objective for my children? We look at uh, Proverbs 1, as Solomon begins that. He, what does he say? He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, as he's instructing his son. So we say, okay, I want to develop a fear and a reverence of God in my home. And then we employ a God-centered methodology. Okay, architect, how do you want this house to be built? You're the one, and apart from your intervention, this isn't going to go. How do you want me to go about this process of building? And, and what has God said? He says, well, use my word. Use scripture. And so we bathe our children in God's word. We bathe our children in, in prayer. I was a uh, talking to, to Pastor Rich this week, and I was asking what he was going to preach on for a Sanctity of Life a Sunday message, and he said, well, I'm, I'm preaching on Psalm 127. I said, well, I'm preaching on Psalm 127. He says, yeah, I've got my notes already together. I said, let's see those. <laughs> Let me double check, make sure you got everything right. Now, don't tell him I said this, but man, he's got some gold in that message. And if you want to get a good message on Psalm 127, I encourage you to download his this week and, and listen to it. He's got some great stuff. And one of the things he talks about in there, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you a little bit of a taste of it. Uh, he talks about how he uh, prayed for his children when they were younger. And he prayed this prayer from number six, 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He pray that over his sons each night. What does that prayer reflect? That prayer reflects that this, this belief, hey, I can't raise these kids. God, I need your divine intervention to, to provide for them and care for them and be gracious to them. A home that is going to, to recognize that God is the builder of it and the, the sovereign architect of it is a, a, is, is a home that not only prays and bathes our, our children in Scripture, but says, you know what, um, this is going to be a, a gospel-centered home. We're not going to expect perfection from ourselves, from our children. We're going to expect repentance and continue to, to show our children the grace that God provides through his son, Jesus Christ, understanding that there are no means by which we can find ourselves acceptable to God. There is no works that we can do to, to continue to find ourselves acceptable to God. All we can do is rely upon his grace and labor with the labor that he gives us. Matthew chapter 7 offers us these words of encouragement that I think should be encouragement to every church, every parent, every individual. Matthew seven twenty four. everyone, this is Jesus concluding the Sermon on the Mount. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. What a beautiful comfort to those of us who, who step back and say, okay, when it comes to the family, when it comes to the children, these are God's children, and he is the one who is going to establish them in a home, not me, ultimately. My labor isn't in vain. My labor, apart from God's divine intervention, is vain. So here's the second truth encourage us to consider. Second truth is this, God sovereignly provides for children in a home. So God sovereignly establishes the home, then it's God who sovereignly provides for children within a home. So here's verse 2. It is vain, he writes, that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And so what is the lifestyle that is being described here at the beginning of chapter, or chapter 127, verse 2? He's describing this person who is anxious to provide for his family. And so what does he do? He gets up early and goes out and labors in the field. And, and then he has no sense that he can rest, and so he continues to labor late into the night. And then even whenever he is able to eat, it's the bread of anxious toil. There's still an anxiety of, of wondering, am I going to be able to provide? And this was a fruit of anxiety. And, and, and here's just the weird thing. Even as a person is enjoying God's blessings, because we see that God is the one who provides for our physical needs, even as a person is enjoying or is, is eating the things that God has provided, they're not able to enjoy it because they think it came from themselves. There's this anxious toil. Now, how does that manifest itself in our lives? Well, there are many of us who labor in worry and anxiety. 
we're anxious. And as we think about providing for our children, as we think about providing for our legacy, there's, there's this sense of anxiety. Am I going to be able to do it? Am I going to be able to provide? Am I going to have all the things that, that they need? And, and so how am I going to provide for their food? And how am I going to provide for the clothing and, and, and college? And, and are they going to have the right friends? And are, my, are they in the right activities? And all of our, our parenting is just so fear-motivated. We're, we're worried. We're anxious. And here is the crazy thing. And I, I, I think I'm nailing this because I'm one of these parents. The crazy thing is, not only are we anxious for those things that our children need, we're also anxious about those things that they don't need. We're worried that our children won't get the things that are vain, that that Scripture describes as worthless. We're scared about that. What if my kids aren't accepted by the kids who will lead them away from the Lord? What if my kids don't acquire the wealth that Scripture says is a hindrance to their relationship with God, potentially? What if, my, what if my kids don't get all the futile things in this world? I'm worried about it. It's crazy. There's worry that, that God says, boy, this is, this is not the way that it's supposed to be. And only, only a person who doesn't believe that God is the one who sovereignly is going to provide for their children has this type of worry. Only that type of person is a person who eats the bread of anxious toil. It's not enjoyable. But we're worried, right? We're worried about our kids' GPA. We're worried about their friends. We're worried about their social status, we're worried about their, their future earning potential, we're worried about all these things, and it's not what Scripture calls us to be concerned with. What's the answer? Here's a biblical perspective. The last part of verse 2. It says, He gives to His... So all this is vain. It's the third time he's used that word vain, worthless, futile that you do all this thing, these things, the reason why it's faint is because God gives to his beloved sleep. Some of your translations might say, he gives, even, he gives to his beloved even while they sleep. And, and the idea is kind of the same, right? God is the one who's providing for our physical needs. And a lack of belief in that causes anxiety the person who embraces the truth that God is the one who sovereignly provides is the one who can enjoy sleep, who can get their full night's rest in. It's kind of interesting uh, for me. Uh, this word beloved, you know, we, we think that Solomon is the author of Psalm 127. This word beloved is, is actually the same word, from the same word that Nathan the prophet uses when he tells David what Solomon's name is to be from God. God gives, you know, there's Solomon, but Solomon's God-given name was Jedidiah, which means beloved of the Lord, and this is that, that word there. Actually, that, that's my middle name as well, and so there's kind of some conviction here, you know. Why is Jedidiah not sleeping? It's supposed to be beloved of the Lord, and the Lord gives to his beloved in, in their sleep. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. Worry reveals we are not trusting God to provide for his children. 
worry in our lives reveals that we're not trusting God to provide for his children at, at Bethany Community Church. Let me give you a couple of, of examples. Some of you are worried in this way. Some of you may be, uh, and I want to be careful what I say here, I'm going to come back to this later and maybe hopefully nuance it a little bit, so don't, don't over-interpret what I'm saying here, but some of us are worried in this sense. Uh, we're worried, and worry prevents us from even wanting to have children. Maybe we're single and we're saying, boy, I don't want to get married because I'm, I'm worried about providing them. I want to have all these financial things in place first. And I'm not encouraging foolishness, but I'm saying, look, uh, worry about lack of provision of those basic things as, as, God, as God gives them to you is, is not trusting in him. Sometimes worry manifests itself in single people as a love for the world. and say, okay, I, I love the world, and so I'm worried that I'm going to lose the things of this world, and so I want to hold on to these vain things as long as I can. And I, I'm not arguing for, you know, that there, there's a biblical date that you have to get married by. I'm just saying the reasons why you choose to do what you do, you need to make sure are biblical. Worry prevents us from caring for children in our home, doesn't it? We're talking about orphan care ministry this, this morning, and some of you are worried you're worried about all of these things. God has been working in your heart, kind of convicting you about the need to care for the fatherless, and, and you're worried. You're saying, well, how is this going to affect this, and how is this going to affect that? And, and it's, not a, it's not a God-centered concern to, make, to be wise. It's just, just worry. It's just worry. Not understanding, hey, these, these are God's children, and God is the one who ultimately provides for them. A worry, prevents, worry is preventing some of us from, from parenting biblically. We don't believe that God is the one who sovereignly provides for our children, and so it's causing us to do some very unbiblical things as we parent. We are conveying to our children a, a love for the world because we are so consumed with this idea that our children won't get all the things that this world has to offer, that we're, we're just investing them in very unbiblical, very worldly ways. We're, we're pursuing, and again, I'm not saying that, that some of these things are wrong, but the focus and the reason why is wrong. We're so anxious that our children receive all the accolades of being academically successful, that we're pursuing academics at the cost of their spiritual health, or we're so concerned that they enjoy all the athletic success that they can, they can enjoy, that we're pursuing that at the detriment of their spiritual life. And, and what I'm telling you is that worry that they don't get those things is not a biblical worry. We're concerned about their financial security, so we're not giving generously, or concerned about the temporary things, and so we're investing in those and being very foolish in how we parent. Worry reveals we're not trusting God to provide for his children, right? Here's the third thing, third truth I want you to consider. God sovereignly blesses a community with children. Here's verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now there's, there's kind of these, he begins here in verse 3, he, he moves from this imagery of, of of the city and, and the house and this, this person toiling and kind of says, okay, this is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the establishment of a home. And then he says these things in verse 3 that are like a, a hammer against the, 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 the nail of our, our wrong misunderstandings of, 
of what children are. He says, behold, he says, children are a heritage from the Lord. They're, they're this, they're this uh, gift now that extends on into the future. A, a, a family who's received children has a gift now, but also receives this gift on into the, the future. A community of faith receives this gift now, but also a gift that has long-term effects. They're a heritage from the Lord. They're the fruit of the womb. They are a reward. What is He's saying here, he's saying that children are a blessing. And and here is what I would say, that at Bethany Community Church, the presence of children in our hallway, the children, the the presence of of children in our nursery, the presence of children in our youth ministry, the presence of, of crying children in a worship service is a sign of God's divine favor and blessing upon our church. And I don't ask for amens very often, but I'm going to say it again, and you can decide how God is leading your heart this morning. In fact, I don't think I've ever asked for an amen before this morning. I'm going to say that statement again. I'm not saying what you need to say, but let me say it. The presence of children at Bethany Community Church is a sign of God's divine blessing and favor upon us. Amen. Amen. We see here why that is. Look at verse 4. He says, The children are like arrows in the hand of a warrior, the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. What is he describing here? He's saying, look, whenever, whenever... a family has children, whenever a church has children, a community of faith has children, they're like these arrows. Children are the means by which the objectives of of a family, of a community of faith, are, are furthered in the world. The goals, the passions of of parents are are passed on to children. The goals and passions of a church are passed on to children. They're extended on into the world, into into the community into the reaches of the church. A powerful protection are children for those who care for them, for those who are faithful to instill biblical values in them. Children are their means by which our greatest passions outlive us. And for those of us whose greatest passion is to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to see his name exalted throughout the universe, for those of us who that is our passion, children are our greatest means by which that passion can continue and can further. They're treasures. He uses this, this imagery here too in verse 5. He says, okay, it's not that children are this, this curse, they're, they're a blessing. The abundance of children is a blessing. He says, blessed is the man who fills this quiver with them. And sometimes in our culture, you look at a person with a lot of kids and say, oh, that poor, that poor person, think about all they're missing out on. And it says, no, 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 the, the person who has many children is blessed. Our, our culture's understanding of the value of children is all twisted around. Our culture says the material things of the world are that which is a blessing. And, and God says, no, spiritual things are those things that are blessings. And, and children are a means, when God sovereignly allows that to be the case, children are a means by which we pursue our ultimate passion, the glory of God, if we parent and minister in, within the church as singles, as empty nesters as God would have us. He says here, the person won't be put to shape, won't be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. And he's describing here this, this place within the city where legal matters would be 
discussed and disputed, and the person who has children is going to be defended in that place. As one commentator puts it, the city gate was a place where men of power and influence conducted their business. It was also the place where wise men ruled and made judgments. Men would meet their adversaries in the gate. And a father with many children has many defenders when he is falsely accused. They stand and they testify to his good name. And your enemies don't stand a chance against you when you have children defending you. You'll sweep them right off the doorstep of the city gate. You know, there's a couple things in those verses, too, that I think are just kind of two specific things, really, that I think really speaks against our culture's understanding of of children. And and let me be very careful here, okay? I'm not, let me just say it and and then then backtrack (laughs) or clarify if I need to. The first thing I want you to notice, I think, is a powerful argument against how our, our culture views the family is, is, is verse 4, when he says, they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. We currently live in a culture in which people are getting married and having children later and later, and, and, and it's not wrong. They say that it's not wrong to get married later. God has a sovereign plan for each of us. It's not wrong to have children later. But the reasons why we do so can be wrong, right? If we say the reason why I'm, I'm not wanting to marry is because I have all these things that are, that are worldly things, worldly objectives that, that families would stand in the way of, guys, that's not a biblical understanding of why to wait to get married, okay? According to a Pew Research study, uh, only 28 I'm sorry, only uh, 26% of 18 to 33-year-olds are, are married right now, and that's, that's, that's never been lower in our culture. And so to our, you know, our millennials, I would encourage you, you know, think about what God's purpose for your life is and why you're pursuing the things you pursue, right? According to working paper from another, uh, another study, the reasons why people are marrying later is, is not for God-glorifying reasons, but because of financial reasons oftentimes. One person put it this way, before I marry, I want to be financially secure. I never want to depend upon anybody for anything. There's this desire to pursue things that in and of themselves aren't bad, but the, the motivation behind them aren't God-glorifying reasons. There's another thing in this passage that I think cuts against the mentality of our culture, and that's, that's this idea of, of the number of children. It says here, blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And now, I think there have been some perversions of this, of this passage that have, that have not understood biblical wisdom, but the idea that the presence of children is some sort of hindrance or curse is not a biblical one. And so the number of children that God grants us should also be determined not because we love the things of the world and we see children as this, this burden, this hindrance, but because we say, hey, this is, this is the way that I believe that God and his sovereignty will best be glorified in my life and the life of my children. That's our motivation here. As we think about the principle, what's the principle? 
The principle is that we must, through our lives, through the decisions we make, through all the things we do, we must demonstrate in tangible ways we value children as God values them. And the decisions we make about marriage, the decisions we make about having children, and the decisions we make as we raise our children, as the decisions, so think about the decisions we make as members of this community of faith, they all must demonstrate in tangible ways we value children as God values them. For some of us, that means we need to be faithful to serve the children in our church. What a powerful testimony if every year, whenever we got ready for the fall, our children's ministry, there were no empty slots to talk about. Because every single person in this room valued children so greatly, they say, I want to make sure our children know that they are loved and it is not a burden to serve them, but a joy. What if every year our, 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 our finances were, were met because people said, I want to give to the, the ministries that are going to care for these, these children. For some of us, it means as we value children, say, okay, I, I value children. I'm going to view them as God views our children, and, and I'm going to, to raise them. I'm going to encourage them in a way that reflects that I understand the, the purpose of children and the value that God places upon children, the reason for children. We think about the orphan care ministry. What if we had a church that continued to grow in this and said, okay, I'm, I value children as a treasure, and I know that their ultimate purpose of, of caring for the fatherless isn't that they would someday just hug me and say how wonderful I am, but so that I would have the opportunity to extend sacrificial love to them because God loves them, and God has loved me, and I want them to see the love of God. I want God to be glorified as I treasure children, as he treasures children. At Bethany Community Church, we don't believe that we own children. We don't believe that children are some means to glorification of self. We don't believe that children exist for us to glorify them. We don't believe that children are a hindrance to those things that are really valuable in life. We believe that children are God's. They belong to him. We believe that God has graciously blessed our community of faith with children and that we have a responsibility to be good stewards of this incredible blessing of children. Let me encourage you to, to bow your heads with me. I'm going to invite the men who are serving communion to, to come forward now and prepare to, to pass that out. And As we bow our heads, let me just encourage you to, to ask God to reveal to you how have you viewed children wrongly? Maybe, maybe all the ways I've described have, have described you at moments of your life. Maybe you see children as a means for you to receive glory from other people, or you see children as a means to, or an end to be glorified themselves, or maybe you see children as a hindrance to the things you really want in life, and you haven't been faithful in ministering to them. I, I pray that you would ask God to reveal to you, even as we bow our heads and as we prepare to partake of the Lord's Supper, a supper that celebrates the unity that we have among all generations through the blood of Jesus Christ, that God will reveal how you need to be more faithful in viewing this treasure of children as he's called you to. Father, we ask that you would reveal that to us. We pray that we would be faithful in this, this ministry of, of caring for, the, for children, and we think especially this morning of the fatherless, those 
who, like us, were separated from a family, and we, like you, had the opportunity to care for them, to point them to you for your glory. Help us to be faithful in that. We pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen.